really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. Of course, as always, I am David Lawrence. I'm your host. I'm an American rugby fan who who follows, frankly, a stupid amount of rugby wherever I can find it. If you, the listeners, would care to get in touch, you'll find it's very easy to do so. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So we went over our sort of overall format last week. I've decided to do that every episode that ends with a zero. So for now, we're just going to skip that and get right to the show because there was a whole lot to go over for sure. So starting as always with current updates, and you know what? The autumn is nearly upon us. It's just about a week away. And, you know, as we try to do each and every single year, uh, this weekend was the family trip to the local Ren Fair. Okay, okay, go ahead and scoff. I know it's super geeky and not for everyone, but oh my word, I, I just love it. I actually worked there back in the day. In fact, it was so long ago that they didn't even call it a Ren Fair. They called it the Super Futuristic Fair. But either way, it is definitely my happy place. Um, it, it's down in Massachusetts in a town called Carver, and the air down there an area known for its cranberry bogs and not much else. It's just amazing. The sights and sounds and smells that accompany a day like this are just manna for my soul. Definitely not manna for my wallet, which is now lying empty and resentful on the floor next to me. Um, My son picked out himself a cool little wrist dragon that also partially glows in the dark. I got myself a cute little bee done in henna on my arm. If there is a Ren Faire where you live or anywhere nearby, do yourself a favor and go check it out. As I say, be prepared to drop a huge amount of money while you're there, but some things are just worth it. What a day. Yes, as I'd say, we finally do have good news with the Worcester Warriors apparently saved from administration and or ruin. Uh, annoyingly, the most recent item I can find about it is five days old as of this writing, and, well, okay, I'll just read it. Quote, the, the Worcester owners have confirmed they have reached an agreement for the sale of the club in a move that looks set to save the Warriors from financial disaster if it proves successful. As reported by The Guardian on Monday, a deal has been agreed with an unidentified buyer, giving rise to optimism that Worcester's burgeoning debts of £25 million, including the £6 million owed to the HMRC by the 6th of October, will be taken on and the club can avoid going into administration, which would in turn lead to relegation. The sale has not been completed, however, and as of close of business on Tuesday night, the heads of terms had not been signed with lawyers from both sides working through the details. The rugby football union, under pressure to scrutinize the deal given Worcester's current plight, will also have to give its approval, but it is understood that the union has received no information as to the sale, despite promises to the contrary, unquote. So, The fact that this fixture actually did go ahead this weekend, though, kind of tells me the sale is final. But maddeningly, there was just nothing else to be found, at least from where I'm sitting. The big thing is I do not want them to fold, and I hope this is, you know, the legit light at the end of the tunnel. So next step for Worcester, get good at rugby. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and if you were here last week, You'll recall, I'm trying to sort of highlight a few select matches and just kind of go over scores for the others, and that's still the case. But this week, 
I just had so many freaking notes that I had to break it up into a sort of a two-pod dealy. So I'm going to do the Southern Hemisphere in part one, that's this one, and the Northern Hemisphere in part two. So the, the admin stuff and the Diamond in the Ruck Award will be in the first part to try to make the run times as even as possible. Um, and once I decided to do this, actually, I instantly felt better about being a little more thorough in some of our coverage here in the Scrum of the Earth. And let's face it, it was an unbelievable weekend of rugby all around in so many ways. So I do hope you find time to listen to both of them and enjoy. Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews and the the quote-unquote weekend actually started on Thursday this time around with Australia versus New Zealand for Bledisloe 1. This one coming to you from Melbourne and, you know, with the fireworks they had lit off ahead of time, the stadium just had an eerie sort of otherworldly look about it. It just felt like something special was afoot. Quick side note here about the haka, by the way. I'm aware that many people, including many of my own listeners, really don't like the haka and sort of wish it would go away. I feel the opposite. I tend to look forward to it each and every All Blacks fixture, though I do miss TJ being the one to lead it. Uh, but the thing I want to mention is the Kappa Opango, which they've been performing pretty exclusively for quite some time now, has generated a lot of controversy over the years because of the final gesture, which as far back as 2006, people complained looked like a throat-slitting gesture, sort of saying it was inappropriate and encouraged violence. The NZRU did what they called a thorough review of the gesture and concluded it had a completely different meaning in Maori culture and in fact represented the drawing of the haora, the breath of life, into the heart and lungs. At the same time, pragmatically, they also sort of quietly asked that players tone it down a little bit and make sure it didn't appear to be an outright threat. So that's kind of how it's been going for years. But lately, however, I've noticed some players, Rico Yuani, I'm looking squarely in your direction, have clearly decided, you know what, I'm absolutely doing a full throat-slitting motion. I'm really surprised nobody seems to have brought it up or reminded them to keep it more traditional. Over the last few months, Rico in particular has really doubled down on it, and tonight I just wondered if the Aussies were going to try to single him out and get a little bit of payback for that maybe. In any event, New Zealand, they wasted little time getting on the board, eschewing mo- uh, multiple chances to kick a penalty in order to keep going for touch in the line-out. Sure enough, it was Tokyaho, once again the beneficiary of the driving mall, putting his side up by seven after only three or four minutes. I was at the edge of my seat, wondering how the Wallabies w- would respond to this one. So after winning another dur- uh, penalty during a scrum, we got a glimpse of New Zealand's game plan, which I, I found interesting. So when they got penalties close to the posts, they would go for the corner, but when they got penalties far away, they would just give the ball to Jordy for the kick. It was almost like the opposite of what most teams do in test rugby. I thought that was really interesting. Of course, after Jordy shanked his first attempt, I wondered if they would stick that uh, with that for the long haul anyway. Uh, of course, in an effort undoubtedly very successful to make me look dumb, they would split the difference on the next penalty, giving it to Mwanga for a sort of a mid-range shot, which he nailed. So thanks a bunch, fellas. That looks That's great. Anyway, <laughs> by the way, I still very much love Mwanga's kicking routine, especially the last little bit where he sort of looks like a kid being like, I am a robot. I will kick it. It's just too good. Anyway, the Kiwis' early success dissipated towards the end of the first quarter. At 26 minutes, it was tied at 10. Momentum plays such a big part in these tests, so intense. Uh, Australia, they looked very strong at that point, despite all the predictions during the week about the difficulties they'd have given their injury woes, which in itself must have given them even more confidence, frankly. So this turned into dominance at the scrum, which was a surprise to me. Uh, you know, and the facade of invis- invincibility continues to fade from the All Blacks. Their their opposing teams have been gaining belief in leaps and bounds of late. It's really quite remarkable, and frankly, I hate it. Anyway, before the half was up, David Havili and Sam Kane both had come off the field for failed HIAs, and this New Zealand team just looks so vulnerable right now. 
To the relief of uh, AB fans, Darcy Graham was also sent off with a yellow card. I was surprised to see the, uh, the Wallabies kicking it out at the end of the half when they were on such a roll at the moment, too. So 10-all was your score at the break, and I don't know. This one felt like an Aussie win in the making to me. Um, I do have to say, and I know this just sounds like me complaining because I like New Zealand, but all throughout the halftime show, they went on and on about the tackle that Corimbete made on Caleb Clark, just gushing about how powerful it was and completely ignoring the fact that it was the most obvious no-arms so-called tackle I've ever seen. It was literally an NFL-style sort of spear tackle. He just launched himself like a projectile, and all they could do was talk about how great it was. It was kind of bogus, frankly. Anyway, mini rant over. Uh, in the second half, if you haven't watched the highlights, please hit pause and go look because Tokiaho, holy bejesus, there's just no way a hooker should have that kind of carrying ability, dusting defenders, carving his way through for an emphatic try before even a minute had passed in the second half. Oh my word, what a player. He has to be the biggest find for the ABs in several years. I mean, although I suppose, you know, Stephen I am de Groot is certainly on the list as well. Okay. The Aussies got another yellow card, this time for collapsing a mall. And as I started shouting at my screen, even the comms were saying, well, if that killed the momentum and it was on its way to being a try, why isn't it a penalty try? And that's exactly why Matthew Reynolds tends to make me a bit bonkers sometimes. So to make up for it, though, it was Mwanga looking like a sevens player, slicing and dicing his way in for another score. And after 53 minutes, it was 13 to 24 and by no means over. Within moments, a gorgeous kick from Bowden uh, went perfectly to Will Jordan, who turned on the Jets for another try. And again, please, please watch the highlights. On that replay, you can see Bowden's face just turning into a massive grin as his wing winger broke away. So good. But then Lomax he basically put a WWE move on Falau Fainga'a, sort of pile-driving him into the turf and leaving him for dead. I have no idea why he'd do something so dumb. Anyway, entering the final quarter, the palindromic score siren was screeching in the background, but Andrew Kellaway, who I understand will turn 14 next month, good for him, uh, he answered back with the comms declaring, now this game's got a pulse. So that led to Mwanga making a huge mistake, kicking it out on the full for a restart. Would this pendulum ever stop swinging? So it was Kellaway again right after that to make it a four-point contest as we entered the final 10 minutes, and I think I need a defibrillator. Anyway, ice in his veins and activator in his hair, Mwanga pushed it back to seven, and Pete Samu was through to the corner, conversion to come. Are you even kidding me right now? Foley, in his first test since the 2019 Rugby World Cup, quote, Mr. Iceman, unquote, as the com said, makes the two, and we're again tied. What on earth? So Nick White would give his team the lead once again with under five minutes to play. What a kick that was. And it was desperation time for New Zealand, what followed is almost too surreal to describe. New Zealand with a lineup from the five and a driving ball that somehow went wrong and gave the ball, uh, the ball back to the Aussies. Then Australia displeasing the ref for delay of game, causing him to give the, the All Blacks a five-meter scrum. The hooter blows the end of regulation as Will Jordan breaks free, dishes it to Jordy, and boom, he was in, getting five when they were down just three. And this one would somehow go to the visitors. My head is freaking spinning from what I just witnessed. Wallabies not even wanting to get off the ground for the superfluous conversion at the end there. Just mind-numbing heartbreak by, by all the gods. I, it honestly can't get any closer or more intense than this. As an All Blacks fan, you know, of course I'm ecstatic, but being the person I am, I am crushed on behalf of Australia, who had this one racked up and in the books by any reasonable account. My initial assessment that we were in for something special was more prescient than I possibly could have imagined. Just an all-time classic and an epic level groin kick for Aussie fans. I think it, you know, even me, it's going to take me three days to just fully process this one. Uh, it was just, I think the word is unbelievable. I can't think of another one. Australia, 
37 New Zealand, 39. And the Bledisloe is guaranteed to stay where it has lived for so long, since 2003, in fact. Lest we forget, it was 13-31 to 31 with under 20 minutes left, and the Wallabies still got a lead that looked unassailable. Oh my word, there will be new levels of vitriol leveled towards Matthew Reynal this week. The call that gave New Zealand the attacking scrum that led to the win, I mean, get ready for the Twitter storm. I, I can't at the moment recall any match close to this intense or with such a controversial ending. I am just completely wrung out. This, my friends, is why we watch this game. So, Argentina versus South Africa was, of course, the other fixture in the BNRC, and the place was packed and overflowing with emotion, starting with a gripping rendition of the anthem, and just the looks on the faces of players told you what this one could mean. On the South African side, Faf was back in action, and I, I guess I have no further comment about that. Uh, Craig Manson's dream boyfriend, Stephen Kitsoff, he got the start for the Bakis, and I wondered, not for the first time this summer and early autumn, where on earth is Nick Sanchez? I know he plays with Stade Francais, but is he injured? If Buffelli is playing for Argentina despite Edinburgh starting their new season, surely Sanchez should be involved as well. I'm going to have to look more into this. Anyway, to no one's surprise, it was Buffelli scoring the first points for Los Pumas. And a quick side note, have you noticed that Buffelli always has the exact same amount of facial hair no matter what? It's uncanny. He's the Fred Flintstone of international rugby. Anywho, uh, Willemsa, he would level things up soon after. Both sides were struggling to find any real momentum. In fact, we had a rare miss from Buffelli. And by the way, the time between the whistle and the actual kick, it was more than a full two minutes. Take that, Matthew Reynal. Anyway, right at the end of the first quarter of play, Santiago Carreras caused the officials to award South Africa a penalty try, earning a yellow card for his troubles. And to me, it felt thing like things had shifted in the visitor's favor. Call it a hunch. Sure enough, seven minutes later, it was Henriksa selling a dummy and ducking in for a try, his second internationally, both of which have been at Argentina's expense. Interesting. So, before the time in the Sinbin ran out, the visitors scored yet again in Presto. It was 6-22, to heading to five minutes left in the first period. Uh, more trouble for the home team with another yellow for too many infractions uh, right after the ref had warned them, in fact. And South Africa were looking to pour it on after the clock had gone red. Indeed, it was Lude, blink, blink, Diager smashing through, but after review, it was waved off. Uh, nevertheless, things already looked seriously grim for Las Pumas. Completely unrelated side note, uh, I assume, because of the fact that I have a six-year-old, every time I hear the name Vili LaRue, I, I hear the theme to Winnie the Pooh in my head. I don't think that's ever going to change. Anyway, the second half started much the same way, with Argentina looking increasingly, I don't know, nervous, I guess? Uh, their opposition had an air of inevitability around them right then, though the scoreboard you know, wouldn't really move until Argentina got a penalty try of their own, with Waka uh, headed to the sin bin, and the fans on hand were starting to feel it, though I, I can't say I was. 13-22 to 22 with a quarter hour to go. A second yellow, however, changed my, my thinking a little bit. And with a two-player advantage, Los Pumas quickly scored again. It was 20-22 to 22 with maybe 12 and a half minutes left. Still up a player as the 70-minute mark uh, ticked by. The crowd was going, frankly, apeshit to the extent that he started to worry about the integrity of the stadium itself. It was rocking as Argentina won another penalty. I'll just say, this one didn't have the same redonkey intensity of the Wallabies versus the All Blacks, but holy cow, it was just so good. Um, I recently described the Sevens World Cup as having an atmosphere so great you can almost feel it through your screen. It was like you were sort of a, a part of it, and this one had that in spades. Just incredible. The fans, the noise, the din, the passion resonating throughout the venue. Oh, my word. Just amazing. Of course, we are talking about the Springboks here. Crowd be damned, they scored another to likely put this one to bed. With only seconds to go, it was Malcolm Marks, the shocked recipient of a wobbly pass, getting through to the corner for a nail-in-the-coffin try. And despite my underdog hopes... 
It was, of course, South Africa winning away 20-36 to by the end. The BNRC this year has been anything but boring. That is for damn sure. Phew. Anyway, quick after-the-fact follow-up. Nick Sanchez is, in fact, out. I just saw that Argentina released him due to injury back in August. And from what I saw today, uh, he's still not fit enough to make the Paris 23. But I do hope to see him back soon. Okay, there's just the one round remaining in the rugby championship for this year. And as things stand, we have New Zealand and South Africa tied for the top spot level on 14 points, with Australia eking past Argentina with 10 points to 9, despite identical records. Next week should be huge. Okay, moving over to the NPC for rounds 6 slash 7, and I'm going to start with a quick side note. I admit, I'm a bit confused by the rounds in the NPC right now. Their official website clearly indicates round 7 began this past Friday, but if this was round 7, how have 10 of the 14 teams already played 8 matches? In any event, I'm going to keep going with what they say, despite my not understanding entirely. So, so-called round six concluded with Waikato against bottom-feeding Southland and the Mulus. That's right, I somehow only recently discovered they're called the Mulus. No idea how I never caught this before. Uh, they got off to a quick start going up 14 to nil, but then, oh my word, check out the clip I posted on Twitter on Wednesday evening. It was an absolutely sick offload from the Stags number four to set up a perfect and gorgeous try when the Southland were within a single score at that point. By the way, I don't know how many ribs Marty Banks started his life with, but surely he's down to the last three or four, right? Holy crap, the man takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Somehow, the visitors tied it up right at the break, and you had to wonder if the champs underestimated their opponents when they fielded a decidedly inexperienced side. <laughs> Another side note here, you could tell there were fans somewhere for this one because you could hear them. But it, 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 I don't know. It felt like the ticketing organizers and the broadcast organizers must have gotten their wires crossed or something because the side of the stadium that you could see during the majority of the action showed us nothing but empty seats. You know, I know it's hard to fill these cavernous venues at the best of times, but holy crap, from the angle they gave us, there wasn't one single person visible in stands. I honestly think there was a serious screw-up somewhere along the line. Anywho, considering this match was on Wednesday and I haven't even begun the weekend's action, I need to wrap this one up. Southland took their first lead 14-17 to only minutes into the second half. So exciting for their fans. But then, as one would expect, the floodgates opened and soon it became a smackdown. 49-17 after 65 minutes and 54-24 to by the very end. Waikato remaining unbeaten and Southland remaining empty in their dusty win column. Come on, Stags, get on the board already. So starting off so-called round seven, it was Taranaki versus Manawatu, and I was treated to a brand new site, which was the Taranaki Bowl. Not your typical person in a fuzzy suit mascot. The Taranaki Bowl is more like a grass Zamboni, just a big old plastic bowl driven presumably by remote around the pitch, occasionally blowing smoke out of its nostrils. Definitely a new one on me. Um, you had to assume the, the bull was kind of mad about losing the last three games in a row. Anyway, Tima Fainga Anuku, he got another start from Manawatu. I think I recently referred to him as Lester's younger brother, but I discovered the opposite is true. Tima is actually two years older than Lester. I also learned that the reason Lester is called Lester is their father played for Tonga, and in the 1999 World Cup, they beat Italy at Welford Road in Leicester, literally the day before his son was born, and the name was a, sort of an, an homage to that, I guess. Um, not to get too far down this particular rabbit hole, but he also has multiple middle names, including Wales, the host nation for the 1999 Rugby World Cup, and Twickenham, Tonga's next destination after that Italy match. I wonder if he still would have used that if he'd known they would be absolutely pantsed by England in that match to the tune of 101 to 10. Anyway... Big brother Tima, he managed to avoid all of this, and here he is. In any event, it's worth noting, 
if you're using Flow Rugby and you click on replay, I, this is like a public service announcement here. Quite often, before the video loads, it will show you a frozen screenshot of the halftime score. I have no idea why it would do such a thing, but be warned, it definitely happens, and it happens a lot. I would advise you to sort of click on the replay and then just look away for a little bit to make sure you don't do what I just did, which was spoil the first half of a match. As I thus knew, it was 28-12 at the break. The Bulls only managed two kicks in the second half, but it was still enough. Despite the aforementioned team of Fianga Anuku scoring a lovely try right at the end, 34 to 24 was the final tally. Next up was Counties versus Canterbury and Counties Monaco. They looked as good or better as I've seen them just all year, though they were still behind at the start of the second half. Somehow, almost like while I was glancing away or something, the home side had come back within five, but then came the gut punch. Another try to make it a two score game with only six minutes or less. Uh, 39 to 44 was how it would close out. Canterbury securing something <laughs> in the win, but I didn't quite understand what the guy was saying. And frankly, I couldn't be bothered to go back and rewind it because there was too much other stuff to do. Either way, Canterbury are in good shape. Next up, of course, was Auckland versus Tasman. This was another nail-biter, though sadly I hardly caught any of it. Uh, by the time the final whistle blew, Auckland had held on for a three-point victory, the Mako scoring 27 to the home team's 30. So, next up, whoo, Wellington. They paid a visit to Hawks Bay, and I was totally keyed up for another defense of the Ranfurly Shield. Early on, the comms mentioned that Hawks Bay are the least penalized team in the NPC, while Wellington are the most penalized. I didn't really know what to do with this stat, but I wanted to share it. Uh, it did seem to add an extra wrinkle in a way. In any event, this one was as close as can be. The two sides feeling each other out and only getting penalty kicks for the entire first half, going to the lockers knotted at nine. It took some time, but Wellington eventually got the first try of the match, and would shortly thereafter pad their lead up to ten. As time wound down, you could feel the tension a shield defense brings, and the current holders, uh, they drew within a converted try and were looking well-positioned for more. Penalty after penalty got them closer and closer. A little surprised we didn't hear anything from the ref about it. Uh, in fact, but right at the death, it was a knock-on and a turnover by the Magpies, and with that, the Ranfurly shield was lost, fairly taken and on its historic way back to the capital. Will it change hands again, uh, hands again this year? 12-19 was the final score in a fantastic match, perhaps a sign of things to come from a very strong Wellington side. They will have to face currently unbeaten Waikato on September 24th, which will be a serious trial. And if they hold on to the shield then, they will be keeping it for the rest of the year. you got to love this stuff. Anyway, Bay of Plenty. They were home facing the winless Southend Stags. And while Southend would score first, their advantage was short-lived with boop, scoring 19 unanswered before a half hour had even elapsed. As the halftime hooter went, Bay were up big 33-7, but Southland were driving and inching closer and closer. The home side committed, at my last count, five penalties in a row, I think it was more like seven, giving the Stags shot after shot, and I said out loud, if they come away with nothing here, this one is already over, and guess what? No points and a clumsy knock-on to end the half almost five minutes after the clock had gone red, just not good. Okay, another random side note here. There was a concession stand that they showed at one point, and by the sign I could tell the, this particular uh, stand was called Banger Boys, which I had assumed it meant it was a sausage shack. Try saying that 10 times fast. But their sign read pizza, pizzas and burgers. That, in turn, made me realize we don't generally use this sort of traditional plural form of pizza here. Uh, in the U.S., that sign would have read pizza and burgers rather than pizzas and burgers. Or actually, more likely, it would have read red hot deals, extreme pizza and burgers. Please leave your firearms at the door. So over the course of the first 25 minutes of the second half, both teams would score and convert a try. 
And the same was true again over the next 10 minutes, but the host would add insult to injury right at the end, making the total, oh my gosh, 54 to 21. My hopes for Southland actually winning a match this year are quickly fading, which of course means I'm totally rooting for them now. So then it was Otago hosting Waikato, and yep, I did it again. I spotted the outcome before I watched. Waikato would finally lose their unbeaten status at the hands of a frisky Otago side. Uh, the Mulus could muster only 20 points in this one. The home team were celebrating in style after winning by a converted try. And it seems like uh, this is the Otago I sort of expected to see this year. Frankly, probably pretty good for Waikato to lose one so they don't get too complacent and or full of themselves, I would say. Finally, of course, there was the Northern Showdown with Northland hosting North Harbor. And by now, you all know the chorus here. Please, no spoilers, because I am saving it. Anyway, looking then at the overall league table, we've got in the Evens Conference, it's Canterbury well ahead with 36 points. Auckland second best with 25, which kind of tells you a lot. Manawatu, all gods bless them, are still winless and at just three points. And in the Odds Conference, my lord, can we please get better names here? Uh, we're currently looking at Waikato still on top despite their loss this weekend. Their 31 points are only three more than second best, Wellington. As we know, Southland are winless but have four points, so there must be some serious bragging going on between Stags and Manawatu fans at the pub, right? R right? Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to... TJ Perinara. TJ, I've long been a fan of yours, and this weekend, you showed everybody why that is, scoring the lone try for your team in a massive defeat to bring the Ranfurly Shield back to Wellington. Your on-field leadership, your uncanny energy, and frankly, your ability to be an absolute pest to the ref and always get away with it somehow, make you one truly special player. I, for one, hope to see you back in the black jersey one day very soon. You know, without the 80 minutes of all-out you brought this weekend, your team might not be going home with the hardware you just stole. And for that, my good friend, congratulations. Enjoy all the spoils and accolades that accompany this most prestigious of awards, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. So, that of course brings us to our updates and previews in the BNRC. Woof, I, I still can't believe we have more to talk about here. Sure enough, the Rugby Championship will conclude this coming weekend with New Zealand back at Eden Park to host a roiling Wallabies team, while the Springboks will return to Durban, looking to put a stamp on Los Pumas' outing for the year. I honestly believe either of these contests could go either way. Okay, no, that's not true. I see South Africa absolutely smashing Argentina this time, actually. Anyway, in the Premiership, it will be round three. We'll have Bath hosting Wasps. We'll have Bristol versus London Irish. Northampton versus Leicester. Saracens will be hosting Gloucester. The Worcester Warriors will be home again to face Newcastle. Come on, guys, do something. And then finally, Exeter versus Harlequins. Ooh, boy, that's going to be a good one. URC will be back for round two, featuring Zebre hosting the Sharks. <laughs> uh, Glasgow versus Cardiff. Leinster versus Benetton. Scarlets versus Ulster. Uh, the Bulls versus Edinburgh. The Stormers versus Connacht. Ospreys versus the Lions. And the Dragons versus Munster. And then, of course... In the NPC, Wednesday will finish the current round with Taranaki versus Counties Manukau, and then it's on to the next round with Canterbury versus Auckland. Oh boy, Canterbury versus Auckland, that's going to be awesome. Then it'll be boop, versus Hawks Bay, uh, Tasman versus Northland, Wellington versus Waikato for the new holder's first Ransferly Shield defense. Oh my gosh, that's got Game of the Week written all over it. Manawatu will be hosting Otago, 
And of course, North Harbor will be taking on Taranaki. And finally, Southland hoping for their first win against Counties Monaco. Over in France in the top 14s, round four, it'll be Perpignan versus Toulon. It'll be Montpellier versus Poe. It'll be Cast versus uh, versus Brive. It'll be Bayonne versus Bordeaux-Begle. It'll be Lyon versus Stade Francais. Toulouse versus Racing. And of course, Clermont versus La Rochelle. And finally, in the Super Six, the Sterling Wolves will be taking on Watsonians. Ooh, that could be a butt whooping. Harriet's Rugby will be facing my Bormier Bears. And the Ayrshire Bulls will be taking on the Southern Knights. Another crazy weekend of rugby. Well, my friends, that does it for the first part of this two-parter. Check out part two as soon as it drops. Um, Not exactly sure when that's going to be, but it will be very soon. Fear not. Also, we have some incredible guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. I can't wait to tell you more about that very soon. So, as always, thank you for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.